narratives on Israeli aggression, infrastructure spending, and proof love beats hate. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, the wee wee the accent, and you stay for the principles. I want to start today's show by talking to you about a a situation that's happening as we speak, and if you're following the news, you see it unfolding. But it's once again a story that has been twisted, has been contorted, has been full of narrative, is full of lies. And it's an issue that I feel very passionate about. But before we get to that issue, I want to give you two analogies. And I want to ask you just to think about these analogies. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to visualize the following scenarios. And I want you to ask yourself, what a normal, common, decent, common sense thinking person would think about the following situations. Here's the first scenario. I want you to think or visualize the weakest man you have ever seen. I'm not talking about some politician or nothing like that. Just to visualize that, you know, he's four foot nothing. They weigh a hundred pounds soaking wet. They have the most scrawniest arms you'll ever meet. They maybe wear glasses. Whatever it is for you, just think of a person, you know, the typical nerd or swat in your school. He's young. He's just small, just has no power, has no muscles. I'm not being disrespectful. I just want to paint a narrative for you. And then I want you to paint a picture of someone else. I want you to picture someone that's like the toughest person you ever met. Like think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, when he was the Terminator. You know, think of Conan the Barbarian. You know, think of some Hollywood superstar, you know, with big muscles. You know, ever who your favorite person is. I'm a big Arnie guy, because not because of his politics, but you know, because of his bodybuilding, and he's been an inspiration to me because of what he's done. But think of, you know, John Claude Van Damme, Vin Diesel, ever who it is, Jason Statham, if you like the English accent. Just someone really tough. You know, but even if it's Hollywood tough, right? And I want you to picture these two people meeting on the street. And the person who's scrawny and weak and is 100 pounds soaking wet has a problem with the big guy. The big, evil, muscly, muscular, strong, strapping guy. And he has a problem with him for some reason. And he walks up to him and he starts poking him in the arm. How does the big guy respond? He laughs. And that just annoys the smaller guy. He feels like he's not been taken seriously. And eventually, you know, he slaps. He slaps him on the arm. Maybe slaps him on the face. And, you know, because he's 100 pounds, there's not a lot of, how should we say, force behind that slap. And the guy laughs again. And this is just aggravating him. And then eventually it turns to, 
you know, he pits up his hands and he starts clenching his fist. You know, and use the typical weak person. You know, he doesn't even know how to clench a fist. You know, he puts his thumb between behind his fingers where, you know, if you actually punch someone, that way you'd break your hand. And he actually punches him. And he punches him again. But it's, you know, because he's not tall enough and he's not strong enough and he's not big enough, he's not having much impact. And eventually he gets really, really frustrated. And this guy, you know, goes, I'm going to start kicking you and punching you. And the arms are flailing all over the place. And it's just all out chaos. And eventually the patience of the big guy runs out. And he hits him once. And he knocks him on his butt and he's knocked out. I am making a point here. You'll understand that why when I get to it. Just think of that scenario. Now imagine that scenario. And I want you to think of what the public reaction would be. The second scenario is this. We all have different times in different countries have seen gang wars. And gang wars can be nasty, they can be brutal, they can be over territory, they can be over money, they can be over drugs, they can be over any different thing. They happen in Ireland, they happen in England, they happen in America, they happen everywhere. And imagine a gang war happening and it involves a family who are innocent, who are just decent people. And the gang who's involved in this is so hell-bent on destroying a section of the city. And people stand up to them. And because gangs don't generally like people who stand up to them, they go out and send the message. And in this analogy, the message they send is, they target the families and innocent people of those who stood up to them. Yes, When the people who actually stand up to the gangs, they only target the people that are causing the violence in society. They don't make it personal. They just go, hey, you're you're causing all these problems. You beat up my friend. You did whatever. And they decide to respond to those people. How would society respond to to that? How would society, would they demonize? Who would they demonize? What would the narrative be out of those two stories? Now, why did I talk to you about those two analogies? Where am I going with this? Well, if you've been following the media recently and the news around the world that actually matters, not about Donald Trump's tax returns, not about uh, William Barr or, you know, the Democrats getting all serious. I mean, news that really matters. You will have seen what's going on in Israel. You will have seen, yet again, Hamas a terrorist organization, by defined by both America and Europe, decided, you know what, let's just, let's just kick off this season of whatever it is, let's just go for it, let's start lobbing missiles. And of course the media have to just ignore that for a while, and then Israel responds, and then it becomes pretty much mainstream news. Those, those evil Jews, Netanyahu, oh, he's such a bad guy. Those nasty Israelis, they're so full of discrimination and hatred for the Palestinian people. This is really starting to annoy me. Actually, that's not true. This started to annoy me 20 years ago. It's getting more and more harder to take because we need to actually find a way to communicate with people. Let's Go through the analogies I did. Why did I give you those analogies? Because I am constantly hearing this situation. When I read all these news articles, when I hear all these reporters going, well, you know, it's not equal. You know, you know, 20, 
the results of the most recent conflict, while 23 people in Gaza died and only four civilians in Israel died. That's not fair. That's not equitable. That's not right. That just goes to show you Israeli aggression. Okay, first analogy. The guy who's small and weak and has no, you know, I'm using all the narratives to make it as lopsided as possible. To try and get you emotively maybe to side with the small guy. That's why I use that analogy. I'm not saying the Palestinian people are weak or spineless or weigh 100 pounds. That's not the reason. I'm trying to paint a narrative. Is there anyone who would look at that and go, well, you know, you know, the, the small guy, yeah, he may have like thrown like 30 or 40 punches and like loads of kicks. And, you know, yeah, the guy, the big guy only threw one punch. But let's not talk about that. Let's focus in. Well, the big guy knocked the small guy out and the small guy did no damage to the big guy. Is this where we're at? Is this where we're at? The second analogy I share, because when Israel responds, you will always openly see they respond against terrorists' strongholds. They're trying to take out tunnels. They're trying to take out leaders. Yes, it's war. Do, would it be great if we could have war where there's no civilian casualties? Yes. Would that be a wonderful world to live in? Yes. Is it realistic? No. No war has ever been fought without civilian casualties. It's a really bad side effect. But what you have openly in this situation, is when the people in Gaza and the militants and Hamas decide, you know what, let's kick off some, they just start lobbing missiles, they're not like, well, we're going to target, you know, the the Knesset, and we're going to target a post office, and we're going to target this, or we're going to target the military, they're just lobbing them, just bang, just, you know, you just fire all those bad boys, and let's see what we hit. There is never any, any accountability for them. Yet when Israel responds in coordinated fashion, and sadly, yes, there will be civilian casualties, they're made out to be this big, evil, bold, oldest of Jews. It's all those Israeli aggression. At what point do we have to have these conversations where we can actually look at a situation with facts, with reason, and say, there's clearly a good actor there's clearly an actor we can have a mixed opinion about, and there's clearly an actor who are bad actors in this story. If you need the clarification for that, the good actor is Israel, and I'll come back to them in a minute. The actor who is, we don't know, because it's hard to judge a pe- set of people. That is the Palestinian people. There are really bad Palestinian people. And there are people there that are probably good, decent, honest folk who don't want anything to do with the politics of the day. They just happen to live in a really crappy country with a really crappy situation and they don't want to risk the boat of saying, hey, I don't think you're right, and then have their family targeted. Because that's what would happen. And then you have a bad actor in Hamas. You know, I'm getting sick and tired of lectures from people about anti-Semitism. When you have a situation that is pretty crystal clear when you understand the facts of the day, the narrative of the day in the Middle East, in Israel, who cannot, when it comes to anti-Semitism, when it comes to Donald Trump, oh, he's a racist and he's anti-Semitic and he hates the Jewish people. That's clear cut. Even though there's no supporting evidence. When it comes to Israel, where the supporting evidence is overwhelming, which I'm going to get to in a second. It's, oh, well, I don't know, we're, we're for the Palestinian people. If you're for Israel, you're also in pretty much default for the Palestinian people. 
You're not for Hamas. Let me give you the facts yet again on the Middle East. Because I would ask these questions to people who are a bit iffy on Israel. We're like, oh, I don't know how I feel. Maybe they're not as innocent as you make them out to be. I'll ask you some questions, and I'd ask you just to think about the scenarios. Firstly, think about the analogies that I gave you. The second question. Is there any country today that exists or in history that you'd be okay with going, you know what? I woke up this morning, I saw the news. Loads of missiles are fired into that country. And they didn't respond. And I think that's okay. How would you respond? How would Imagine you were in that country. Imagine you were in... I, let's just take... Let me give you an example. Let me use me as a gimme pick. Ireland. Ireland's foreign policy, even though it's not... Publicly, is neutrality. We don't get involved. But we're very pro-Palestinian. We're very pro-different issues. But we're, we hide behind this neutrality. Imagine... Someone, England, all of a sudden tomorrow woke up and said, you know what, not only do we want the six counties back, we want the 26 counties. We're we're taking you over. And we're going to start lobbing missiles into you just to send you a message to tell you we're coming. Is there anyone who'd be like, yeah, that's okay? Anyone? Maybe you don't like Ireland. Pick any other country. Is there any country you could see another set of people lobbing missiles openly into a country? Not targeting anything. Just lobbing missiles into it and going, yeah, that's totally fine. That's, you know, there's no need for them to respond. If that was you, how would you respond? Honest question. Then I'll ask you to think about the scenarios. Because people always go, what's the end game? The end game for Israel has always been the same. Peace. Now, people say, oh, well, you can't say that, John. You're stupid, a Zionist, and you're just a Jew defender and all this stuff. I always love people on my side are, quote, anti-Semitism, but then people like me, when we talk about Israel, are, well, you're just Jewish. You've got a Jewish defender bias. You're just so Israeli and pro-Israel. No, I'm pro-facts. I'm sick and tired of this narrative. Of how the Palestinian people who with behind Hamas are somehow noble and the Israeli people are somehow evil. Yes, I have my religious reasons for backing Israel. But I've just spoken to you for ever how long I've spoken to you. I haven't mentioned Christianity, God, or Moses or the Jews at all. I've mentioned history. I've given you analogies. But now let me talk to you about the history of Israel. History of Israel is very complex. But Israel has something to its credit that proves they're not the warmongers that everyone wants to make them out to be. They have something that a lot of countries don't have, and they have two of them. What, are, what, what does Israel have, John, that other countries don't have? They have peace negotiations with two countries who in the past wanted to wipe them off the face of the map. And they exchanged, had land for peace deals, which to this day are still standing. Those countries are Egypt and Jordan. To show you how much the relationship has grown with Egypt, the current situation between the Gaza and Israel and the Hamas and Israel and the PLO and Israel, the people trying to organize that deal are Egypt. Egypt is a country which was involved at wars. If you want to learn about Egypt and the wars, Google Egypt and Israel. It's, you'll learn a lot if you don't know it. There's a lot of history there. That is Israel's history. What is Hamas's history? What does Hamas say? What is in Hamas's charter? 
Well, it's funny you should say that. What is in Hamas's charter? Let me quote. And I quote, that Israel will rise and will remain erect until Islam eliminates it and it had eliminated its predecessors. Huh. It talks about eliminating Israel. These people talk about, well, why won't Israel just recognize the Gaza Strip? Why won't they just give the land back? You're talking about people. Why are we asking questions of Israel? Why not ask questions of Hamas? Why do you want to eliminate Israel? Why won't you recognize Israel? What makes this even more frustrating is the Middle East is a very complex situation. Yet the people who will lecture me on social media about when I'm so pro-Israel will also at different points talk about me being a bigot. How I'm so racist. How I don't like gay people. Which is not true, by the way. I have many gay friends. But, you know, never never get facts get in the way of a good narrative and a good story. If you're a racist or you're a bigot or you're a xenophobe or whatever you are, you know, just use the narrative as best you can because you clearly disagreed with someone. But yet, those people who hate Israel support all these Palestinians and all these different countries in the Middle East who literally will hang and stone gay people. Which is consistent. If you are pro-minority rights and pro-diversity, you should be pro-Israel. For that reason alone. The situation in the Middle East is a mess. And it needs leadership. But it needs people in the media. It needs public commentators. It needs people on the ground actually explaining the situation. Because if we don't explain the situation, we're going to find ourselves in a time where there's just going to be more dead people, more and more violence, and all this narrative of BDS and diversity and blockade becoming such a big story, and it will dilute the real story. What is the aim? For one side, Israel, you have a narrative of peace, of seeking peace, of just wanting to be left alone. And on the other side, The Hamas, I'm not saying the Palestinian people, I am saying Hamas, the terrorist organization, the PLO, which goes all the way back to Hitler and the Grand Mufti. And I do believe we all think Hitler is a bad person, right? We're all still in agreement with this, yeah? Hitler's a bad guy. Well, that is the narrative. Which side do you want to be on? And yet again, I finish this the way I've asked this question so many times. Imagine a scenario of what would happen. If tomorrow morning, Bibi Netanyahu gave a press conference and said, our troops are now standing down. Our troops will not fire on when we're fired upon. We are laying down our weapons. Would Israel exist? Or would it be conquered? Now imagine the same thing if the Hamas and the PLO and all the terrorists in Palestine said, we're laying down our weapons. What would happen? Just play that out in your head this weekend. Because we gotta work to change these narratives. On that note, I wanna give a big shout out to your president. You know, there are many things we'll discuss on this show, and we're going to even going to discuss today where we may disagree with President Trump on some things, but i got to give him a salute and a hat tip because on Israel, he's deadly consistent. 
you know, earlier last, this week, he tweeted out that, you know, he said, once again, Israel faces a barrage of deadly rocket attacks by terrorist groups, Hamas and Islamic Jihad. We support Israel 100% in its defense of its citizens. He even gave a message to the Gazan people saying, they, these, these attacks will bring you nothing but more misery. End the violence and work towards peace. It can happen. Amen. So kudos to you. You've been consistent since day one on Israel, and you've done some major great achievements in Israel. So great job. This show, this show will always salute people who we think are good, or whether we think they're bad. When they're good, we will salute. We will salute principles. We will be consistent. Being consistent, though, is an incredibly hard thing at times, and I'm seeing a lot of my friends in the media on the right have this problem recently, and I want to talk to you about it because it's really important. I've seen a lot of people on the right over the last couple of weeks and couple of months and even going back longer, you know, but most recently in the last couple of months, really talk about socialism. They're doing all these viral videos about how socialism is bad. They're doing all these viral videos and blogs about, you know, what's happening in Venezuela have been really bad. And I salute it. I think it's great work. I think you're absolutely right. But I have a question for you. And the question is, I want you to fill in the blank to the following statement. And I'm going to give you two choices. The statement is, socialism is bad when fill-in-the-blank does it. And the two options I would ask you are this. Option one is Democrats or the left. And option two is anyone. Because what I see right now is a lot of people say socialism is bad when Democrats or the left do it, or when liberals or socialists like Bernie Sanders do it. But what happens when your own side does it? I want to park that for one second, and I want to give you another analogy. I'm going to do my best over the coming shows, over the coming months, to give you analogies. The reason you're going to start seeing a lot more of these is for this reason. Despite how many times I say this, people who don't like me and don't like my show or when they engage in me have this opinion where I'm trying to convert you to think a certain way. I am not. I am here to give you questions. I am here to give you the ammunition to find out where you stand on the issues. Even if you completely disagree with me. That is my job. And I'm going to try and come up with analogies where you can think about scenarios which are not emotionally based, where there is no people involved, and they can give you in a scenario and go, okay, that's what you would do. And then bring it back to the politics or to the principles and see are you consistent. Is there a reason you changed? And if there is, you can find out what that reason is. Is it right? Is it wrong? I am here to help you grow. I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to be, hey, I I think what John thinks. No, please don't because I'm wrong on some stuff. I don't know what I'm wrong on, but I am, I'm wrong. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not some awesome, wise, all-knowing odds, Oz. I'm nothing. I'm just a guy who has a thirst for knowledge who wants to help you find out where you stand. I want to make it as easy as possible for you. So I want to give you an analogy. And you use this analogy for whatever way you work, whatever your job is, whatever sector you're in, whatever your position is in the company. But let's just make it realistic. And I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to use me as a gimme pick. Imagine I'm in my job. That doesn't matter what it is. And I figure out, you know what, there's this piece of equipment and it's going to cost $1,000, but it makes our job better. Makes it more efficient. It'll do whatever. How do you operate under that? What happens? Well, I might find out more information, but eventually I'm going to ask my boss. I'm going to go to my boss and say, hey, boss, 
we need this machine. What's the first thing your boss is likely to say to you? The first question I would ask, imagine, and you can disagree with me, by the way, on this. My first question my boss would say to me is, why? So, John, you're telling me we need this equipment. Why do we need it? Well, we need it because, you know, I spotted a gap in the market. I think it can bring in more sales. It can, you know, help us, you know, be more efficient. It can cut down time, whatever the reason is. Okay. If you get past that hurdle, the next question that comes pretty quickly is, how much does it cost? Well, it costs a thousand euros or a thousand dollars. Then, and this may not be, I might not be part of this conversation, but if the idea is still alive, my boss will go talk to a lot of other people. And what they will do is many things. They'll research it, they'll investigate it. But ultimately, what they're looking for is an ROI. ROI is return on investment. So I, John wants me to spend $1,000 on a machine. What will it give me? When will I make my money back? And let's just say, for argument's sake, this machine will make $10,000 in three years. Okay, so I'll make 10 times my money, 10 times my return on investment, but it will take me three years. Okay, then what happens is usually a lot of people get involved and it gets to, becomes a discussion, and maybe there's a compromise. Maybe the deal is, look, John, we, we agree with you, we need to do this, but we, what we need to do is we're not going to buy a new machine off the bat. $1,000 is a lot of money. We don't really have it. What we're going to do is we're going to buy a used one. We're going to buy it for like $500 in the hope of if it works out in a year and you pro- you know, your figures are actually right of it will make us $10,000 in three years, then you know we might re-upgrade and get a brand new one in a year. But let's try test the market. Is that a realistic scenario for how you would see a business work? If it isn't, let me know. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 That's how I would see a lot of companies. I've been around these conversations, by the way. I've been a business and sales manager, so I know how business generally operates. It may not operate that structured. The first question might be how much, and then, hey, if it's any money, no. But, you know, generally, if it's a serious conversation, those are the important questions. What is it? Why do I need it? How much is it? And what can I get back? How much sales can I get back? It might be something even simpler. It might not be a piece of machinery. It might be, hey, I need another full-time staff member. Why? Well, because of increased workload, increased sales, and then the compromise is, well, we can't give you a full-time person. We'll give you a part-time person. This is how most businesses operate, okay? But DC, in its infinite wisdom, doesn't go by basic economics, It does not go the way everyone else operates. DC is in a bubble of its own. That's the analogy. I want to talk to you about a bill that sadly many of my friends on the right have been totally silent about. It's all great to talk about socialism and big spending in Venezuela and why they're corrupt and how their businesses are, you know, how their government is just intrusive and how it collapsed. Yet, I don't see any many viral articles or viral videos on what happened in your country last week. And what happened in your country last week has been reported on and confirmed by the administration by many news outlets. And I'm going to quote to you one paragraph. Hat tip Reuters. President Donald Trump and Democratic leaders agreed on Tuesday to spend $2 trillion on U.S. roads, bridges, power grids, water, and broadband infrastructure while leaving the torny details of how to pay for it all to another meeting in three weeks. Now, here's the thing. 
Why did I give you an analogy at the start to talk to you about infrastructure spending? Because most companies would go, hey, what do you need? We need infrastructure spending. Okay, how much? Where do you need it? What do you need? Where do you need it? When do you need it by? It appears, unless things haven't been disclosed to the media, which could be the case. You know, we leave ourselves that margin for error. But I've been researching this. I can't find out where the, the figures are. They've just agreed to spend $2 trillion on infrastructure on all of those projects. But there isn't any specifics about, hey, well, this bridge needs to be repaired. This bridge needs to be replaced. This freeway needs repairing. Most times when that decides, you get estimates. In my analogy, I just made it simple. Hey, we need this piece of equipment, and I googled how much it costs. Okay? I made it very simple. But in infrastructure, you've got to get quantity surveyors out. You've got to get people going, okay, well, that bridge is going to cost that amount of money. This road is going to cost that amount of money. You know, to protect the power grids, it's going to cost this amount of money. I do say the power grids is an estimate that's probably already on file because they've been talking about, you know, protection against EMPs for a long time. So that you kind of get a pass on. But water and broadband infrastructure and roads and bridges, there is no details. I ask these questions for you because I want to talk to you about the role of government. This is not a hating on Donald Trump. This is just D.C. been D.C. D.C. operates the exact opposite to the way society operates. And Donald Trump doesn't seem to be imperious to this. He's just, it's just the way it is. But I want to ask you some questions about this. First of all, consistency. We need to be consistent on issues. I asked you earlier, is it socialism bad when a Democrat does it or when anyone does it? The reason I ask this is because you have to be consistent. You have to be, hey, something is right and something is wrong, regardless of who does it. I was around and I was involved and commentating on things when Barack Obama, you know, I know you, you probably don't know who Barack Obama is, and I know you've probably never seen him or ever heard him speak, but he was this president, if you read in your history books, a very, 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 very long time ago. Oh, God, it was all the way, it was 2009. It was like so long, it, it's like a distant memory now. If you're, unless you're really old, you don't know who Barack Obama is. Let's put it that way. But back in 2009, that long, long time ago, Barack Obama had a policy, and it was called the Stimulus Act. And back in 2009, way so far ago, long ago, the conservatives and the right were outraged by this policy because it spent $787 billion on a stimulus package, which included funding for roads and bridges. Yet, today in 2019, we don't want to spend $787 billion. Y'all want to spend $2 trillion on infrastructure. And no one seems to be concerned. No one seems to be worried. No one seems to be, well, this, no one seems to be pointing out, this could be a bad idea, and here's why. Are you consistent? Is government spending right or is government spending wrong? That's a question for you to answer in your own time. But I actually want to talk to you about the principles behind it. I have heard this narrative for a very long time. I would say it's 10, 12 years I've heard this narrative. Maybe it's longer. I don't know. But it's been around a while. That your roads and bridges are crumbling, right? Take this from an outsider. You're not. They're not. Some may be. Some look really bad. I've, I've traveled through under some of your bridges. They look rusty. They look old. They look dirty. They look filthy. They're filled with graffiti. That does not mean crumbling. 
I don't know what, maybe it's just me, maybe this is just how I interpret things, but when I think of crumbling infrastructure, and then I see America, and, and I've been there, and I've traveled a lot around your nation, I don't, those two things are not the same. I've seen crumbling infrastructure, you don't have it. Now, I have been on bad roads. There have been some roads that are really bad. You get over it. But the question is, are they crumbling? No. Absolutely not. Second question is this. So let's assume, let's just believe the narrative for a second, that your roads and bridges are actually crumbling. Let's just play along. They are. Honest question. Who is responsible for them? Who's responsible to fix them? You see, there are many reasons I love your nation. And when I say I love your nation, I love the principles your nation was founded on because they make so much sense to me. The system of government that America has is based on a term called federalism. That your founders said, you know what, we don't believe in government, but when government must exist, it works best when it's closest to the people. Who's responsible for roads and bridges in America? Is it the federal government or is it the state government? Historically, the answer is the states, federalism. Because when you came and you formed and started saying, hey, we don't, we want to declare independence, and then you fought against Britain, you didn't form that as a country as well. We're American, we're declaring our independence. No, you declared that as 13 colonies, and you became the United States of America. And your founders said, no, no, we're going to have all the power in the states because we're 13 colonies. We're different to other. We are not a country. We are 13 states coming together, 13 colonies. And we will hold the power, but we agree that we need a centralized power. We need a centralized government that is extremely limited in, in, in what it can do, which is Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There's 18 clauses there. That's all it can do. And the rest belongs to the states. Who is responsible for roads and bridges? Is it the people? Is it the states? Or is it the federal government? The reason I say people is because I don't want to talk about this today. Maybe we'll another time. The libertarian, if you're all listening, go, it's the people's responsibility. No state government at all. Okay. That's another, that's a conversation for another day. But who's responsible? Does the federal government have a role? Now, in case you're listening to me and you're like, I don't see America the way you do. I love America, John, but I don't revere the founding fathers as much as you do or the way they have in government. Okay. But you believe the federal government should do roads. Okay. Then my questions for you are this. Is the Constitution relevant or not? Should it be followed? Well, yeah, we all take an oath of office. Okay, then change the Constitution. Amend the Constitution to say that the federal government should have more powers. And if people will go on your side, then I have no problem with that. If that's what you decide and you amend the Constitution, I may not like it, I may not think it's a smart idea, but at least be consistent with the Constitution. The other answer is, well, the Constitution doesn't matter. The second question I would ask you is this. If you're more open to the federal government doing things, then where's the limit? Is there a limit on federal government? Is there anything the federal government cannot do? I ask this because I would give you the warning and to look around the world at democracies like Ireland, like England, where if people are elected to do things and they go and do them, there is no limit. America is exceptional and unique because it placed a limit on government. Now, you haven't followed it in a while, in a good amount of time, actually. But in theory, the Constitution places limited on government. 
It says you can do these things. The states then have the state's constitution and they can do certain things. But the power is always with the people. Should there be a limit on government? These are questions. I know my answer to them. I'm here to help you find out what your answers are on them. What are the answers? Because I believe in federalism. I believe government works best when it's closest to the people. But there's also a responsibility to talk about here. If you're listening to me and kind of going, you know what? I agree with you, John. It's federalism. This should not be Donald Trump or any president talking about this. This shouldn't even be discussed with Congress. This should be discussed at the state level. Well, this is where I need to turn the head on to you, the people. Because what you see in America right now is entirely predictable that this would happen. Because all your focus is on national politics. If you're so frustrated with D.C. doing too much, you need to be talking to your local elected officials, your local state senators, your local state representatives, saying, why are you not telling them, get out of my state? They're saying they need to fix a bridge in our state. You tell them, no, we will pay for it. You tell them, no, we don't need your help. But you also need to hold them to the fire and say, I'm paying state taxes to you. I'm paying, I am working my butt off. To pay all these taxes, federal taxes, income taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, all these taxes, and I'm getting screwed. And everyone in D.C. and in the state is getting rich. What are you doing with my money that you need federal money? Why can you not pay for this road to be fixed, for this bridge to be maintained? Why do you need Obama stimulus packages or Trump and Democrats to come together to do this infrastructure spending? Why are you not doing this? I share a story, I shared this with you when I was in over in Texas in February, I met many different people. You know, some of them were hoping to run for different levels of office. But I remember meeting this lady, which really saddened me, and it actually highlights a problem in America. She was telling me she's running for school board. And she said, I live in a district where in 2020 and in 2016, tens upon tens of thousands of people in my district will vote for Donald Trump or the Democratic nominee. Yet I won my race and I think it was with 75 votes or 80 votes. And the person who came in second, I think, had 51 votes. And the person who came third had 49. I might be loose with those figures. But it's that's in proportion. School board, where literally they're talking about education. What they will teach your kids can get a couple of hundred people to vote. Yet when it comes to president, it's tens upon tens of thousands of people. There's your priorities. Federalism needs you to work at it. But here's where I'll just take the situation on this one more direction. America, I love you. I hope this is not in doubt. I share your concerns about the Venezuelan people. Anytime anyone goes through tyranny, it breaks my heart. I believe in freedom. I want people to be left the hell alone by everyone. I don't care whether you're American, whether you're Irish, whether you're Venezuelan, whether you're Chinese. I want you to live your life the best that you can. You have one opportunity in this world. You have one opportunity. Do everything you can to pursue what you're happy about. Whatever makes you happy. Make the world a better place. Because at the end of the day, if I'm right and there's a heaven, well, I get to go to paradise. But if I'm wrong, there's nothing. But you have a set amount of time on this world to do things. So I share your frustration about Venezuela. But you are kidding yourself if you don't think what's happening in Venezuela right now will happen in America. It will. Let me break down some numbers for you real quick without getting, without having your eyes roll over. You are $22.2 trillion in debt. 
You have so much debt, you're crazy. And yet, here you are yet again, Democrats and Republicans coming together to spend another $2 trillion on infrastructure. Now, if this bill passes, they haven't decided how they're going to pay for it. Do you think they're going to cut money from elsewhere? If you do, I'd love to see what your rationale behind that argument is. Because DC does not cut spending. It will either do one of two things. It will either borrow that $2 trillion and a $22.2 trillion. Hey, what's two more trillion? They'll print it. Who knows? Or they'll raise your taxes. Can you afford another tax hike? What will happen to the economy if you have another tax hike? What will happen to more people who potentially need jobs if they get a tax hike? Those who are looking for work, what will happen if they get a tax hike? Well, it'll only be for the millionaires and billionaires. Well, they don't have as much money. Are they going to invest it in the company? Is the company going to grow as much? Is there going to be as much R&D? Are they going to advance as much? Are they going to create as many jobs? If they have less money, do you think they can create more jobs? Simple economic question. What's going to happen? This is my fear. You're $22 trillion in debt. At some point, that bubble is going to burst. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. Now, I'm not any economic expert, and even economic experts, if you ask me, don't know what they're talking about. Timing is not possible. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be 50 years from now. But effectively, you will go bankrupt. It's, it's inev- inevitable. It cannot happen. No country can borrow $22.2 trillion and have unfunded liabilities of $123 trillion and be okay. But in case all those figures went over your head, I want to give you one last analogy of what would asking you a question of would you do this? I want you to imagine yourself as in a couple. And regardless of what age you are, because I know you all listen to different ages, because I've been engaged with you, you know, young, old, male, female, you know, single people, grannies, parents, you know, you guys are awesome because it's so diverse, this audience, it's amazing. But I want you to imagine yourself, let's just use the typical analogy. You're 30 years old, you're just married, and your wife is pregnant, or you, you, if you're the lady, you're pregnant. And I want you to ask yourself, would you do this? Would you go to the bank and say, I'm going to name my son Little Johnny. And Little Johnny's coming in eight months. And I'm going to apply for a credit card in his name. And each year, the bank is going to give me that credit card. I'm going to increase the the limit on that credit card. And we're going to have ourselves a ball of a time. We're going to invest, quote unquote, in new appliances for the house. We're going to invest in a washer-dryer, in a brand-new fridge, in a brand-new flat-screen TV. We're going to have all the amenities. We're going to look after everyone. We're going to have, you know, the best of stuff. Little Johnny, we're going to give him the best of clothes. When he grows up and he becomes a, you know, five, six, seven-year-old, we're going to give little Johnny, on that credit card, in little Johnny's name, you know, we're going to get him the best baseball equipment, the best football equipment. Little Johnny's going to want for nothing. And then on his 18th birthday... Or whenever he gets his first job, we're going to give him that credit card and say, guess what? We had a ball of a time spending money. You got to pay it off. Is there any parent that would do that and think, yeah, that's all right? Is there any part of society you go, that's totally fine? Yet, what you're doing right now 
And with this bill and every other bill that you have going forward in your Congress and have for a very long time, what you've done is said, yeah, politicians can do that. They can borrow in the name of my name, in the name of my offspring, in my name of my offspring's offspring. Your debt is exploding. If I can give you more figures without your mind blowing over. I remember a very, very, very long time ago when George Bush came into office. George Bush Jr. The year was 2000. And I remember the chaos everyone thought he had to, uh, he had to deal with. The chaos of having a national debt of $5.9 trillion. Sorry, $5.6 trillion. Everyone was like, "How? oh my God, how are we going to do with this? This is crazy. Yet, just 19 short years later, you're at $22.2 trillion. Socialism is bad. But the question is, is it bad when the left do it? Or is it bad when the right do it as well? I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to all of you who reached out over the last couple of weeks um, about my situation. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to waste your time or, or your efforts. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's it's a really hard situation for me to accept, but it is what it is. You know, I can moan about it and whine about it, or I can you know put on my big boy britches and move on. But I hope it's clear from last week's show and definitely today's show that the fire that's in my belly hasn't been diminished. You know, I may never ever even travel to America again. I don't know. It's too soon. It's too sore. But I've still got a lot of fire in my belly when it comes to freedom. When it comes to your country. Because I firmly believe that this country, this world, is in a state of chaos. And it needs some consistency and it needs some principles. And historically, those principles are found in your founding documents. And I'm going to do all I can to share them. Because, you know, it's life is a journey. And the more and more I see it, and I don't know whether some people realize this or some people tell me this doesn't exist or it never did, but... I really know the America I love. I love the principles, but I also love Frank Capra's America. You know, I had a rough last weekend, and I just wanted to, I didn't want to do anything, but I wanted to just watch telly, but old school. And I remember I had Mr. Smith went to Washington, goes to Washington, sorry. And I watched it, and it brought me to tears many times, because that is the America I love. That passion, that, that knowledge, that, you know, what he wanted to do. That idea, that the way you act, the way you don't act, it's incredible. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about how you act. Because I talked to you about the principles over the years about Martin Luther King and Gandhi and how, you know, we don't need someone who's going to be the great equalizer and punch your enemy. That love will be win the argument in the end. And I want to share an example with you this week of a lady who I have no idea what her name is, but I think she's made a bit of a difference in America. There's a representative in Pennsylvania called Brian Sims. Now, I have no idea who Brian Sims is, and I only figure found this out because of his video. And to be honest with you, I have no interest in Googling this guy or researching, one, because he's a politician, but two, because he seems like a piece of work. But Brian Sims is a representative from uh, Pennsylvania. 
and literally he is a piece of crap. And he thought it'd be a real cool idea to go to Planned Parenthood. And there was a lady out there, an old white lady. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say she's Catholic. And the only reason I say that is because she's clearly holding rosary beads. I could be wrong, and if I am, I apologize to you. But that's just a guess. But she's out there talking, and she's not doing any talking in the video that she's in, but she's there praying in front of Planned Parenthood. And Brian Sims is recording her and getting in her face and, you know, telling her how shameful she is and how wrong she is and how much of a bigot she is and how, you know, she has no right to tell people what to do with their bodies. She calls her a racist. He calls her every name under the sun. If you haven't watched this video, I'd strongly recommend you watch it. Sadly, it's got a million views. But what I would ask you to do is I want you to watch this video. And I don't want you to think about Brian Sims. And I don't want you to think about the issue of abortion. I don't even want you to think about the lady involved. I want you to look at the video through this lens. Is there anyone, with the exception of the extremists on both sides, which are there, who would look at this and go, he won the argument. She doesn't say a word in the video. She literally just walks up and down, calm. So she does say a word. There's a bit of an altercation. He hits off her and he puts the camera in her face and she says, don't do that. But she's calm. She's not angry. She's peaceful. She's making her stand. Whether you agree with her or not, she's making her stand that abortion is wrong and the way he responds to her. Watch that video and ask yourself, who would look at that and go, he clearly won. That's the guy I want to side with. Because what I see in your politics right now, forget the sides, because it's the same on both sides, is everyone acting like Brian Sims. Everyone telling others how to think, telling them they should be shamed, that they're racist and bigoted and homophobic and loads of different names. You know, and, the, and my friends on the right love to hear you're, you're a commie or you're a socialist or whatever you are. You Name calling. Who won in that video? I believe the lady won. I believe she'll have changed some hearts because people who are like maybe open to abortion will look at that and kind of go, I may disagree with that lady, but she didn't deserve that treatment. You don't deserve to be called out like that in public. You sure as hell don't deserve to be, you know, videotaped and, you know, name called and, you know, been, you know, provoked and not responding. Where she would have lost is if we had done what so many people in society do, where when we're provoked, we're going to punch you back twice as hard. Imagine that video, watching that video. If he had provoked her the way he did, and she turned around and slapped him, and said, don't talk to me like that. How many people do you think would have went, I think he was wrong, but she was worse. I'll side with him. Look, I'm not telling you how to run your life. You, you got You got to do you. I am no way fit state to judge or condemn anyone. I am the worst of most people. I am deeply flawed. I am fully aware of how flawed I am. But I care about your nation and I care about the world of what we're going through. You may call me a hippie. You may call me, you know, a pacifist, which is not true. But you can call me any name, any, any way. It doesn't matter. But I believe we make the case when we do it peacefully. Americans have always been a good set of people. You are an amazing set of people. You look at your history of when natural disasters happen, how you give money. Yes, your government gives money and other governments give money, but your people give generously. You look at all the missions your country and religions do. 
You look at the amount of people, including myself, who speak English and can share this opinion because of, in part, or in large part, I believe, because of the American soldier. I believe, yes, you've done some bad things. Yes, you are flawed. But your nation is a good nation. You're noble. You're good. You're decent. How do you change it? I believe the principles of Gandhi and of Martin Luther King work. I believe in the principles that Lincoln spoke about with malice toward none and charity toward all. That is not my nation. That is your nation. How do you change things? Anger is one way. But who changes their opinion based on anger? I believe we make the case in loving terms, in honest terms. Because deep down, your people, regardless of what the issue is involved, this is not about abortion, regardless of the issue that's involved, your people are good and honest, and they want a good and bright future for everyone. Even though they're divided and you're, you're judging all by labels, by, by race, by sexuality, by politics, by who you voted for, by income, when it comes down to it, not a lot of Americans want harm done to other Americans. There are some on both sides. But a lot of them, a lot of your people are good, honest people. We just need to start talking to each other again. And not talking to each other in the sense of, well, I have something to tell you. Hey, I'm going to tell you why the America is the greatest country in the world, from my point of view, and then not engage with you. I'm going to tell you what I think and then leave. I mean actually talking to each other, saying, hey, what about this? And then if you disagree and agree, let the conversation flow naturally. Don't have your talking points ready. So many people want to see so many people as enemies. That's tiring to me. How about we see each other as friends? And even if we disagree on everything, doesn't matter. We can be agree to disagree. We can be good, decent people. Because I would ask you to look at that video. It's on live actions, and I'll tweet it out at Freedom Disciple. I don't know anyone who'd look at that video. I have many friends who want abortion, who promote abortion, who would look at that video and go, yeah, I agree with him. The way he acted was totally awesome. Maybe I'm wrong. Just something to consider. I know people say I'm a hippie and a freedom-loving person or, you know, a lover, not a fighter. Look, I'll fight if it needs to be. But I believe we win our arguments through peace, through love. And it's time to make that case once again. And if you agree with me and you want to take part on this journey with me, please continue to share this show with everyone. Subscribe. We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. It's on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Omni, Omni FM, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, CastBox, anywhere there's podcasts, local Freedoms Disciple. Please subscribe. If you happen to listen on iTunes, um, that's one of our, I think it's our biggest platform. Sorry, it's second biggest platform. Omni's our biggest. Um, got some numbers where shows back grown, which is down to you. Thank you so much. But if you happen to listen like iTunes, please leave a review. It helps us find, it helps the algorithm which new listeners can find. Because this show, I've got a lot of things I want to do with this show. I want to continue to talk to you about principles and I want to give you analogies that make you think of where you stand on the issues, not where I stand. We finish this show the way we always do, by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women of different races, of different creeds, of different backgrounds, of different sexualities. Who put it all aside, amazingly put it all aside, to protect you, the American people, and to in turn protect the rest of the world. 
And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a great week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. 